Good morning, and welcome back to the First Things in the Morning podcast, where we discuss any and all topics in order to learn more about the world while waking up and having our morning tea. Today is yet another first episode of a new mini-series, but it will probably be one of the last ones, because I feel like we have almost all our bases covered at this point. If you are new here, I will just quickly explain how we do things over here on the First Things in the Morning podcast. The episodes are divided in different mini-series, so we all know what kind of topics we are in for, just by looking at the title of the episode. Today's series is going to be called Thanks, where we look at heroes of history that did a lot for us and our world in big or small ways, and where we can politely thank them for their effort. As a side note, most sources refer to historical figures by their last name, and I get that that's a sign of respect, but I will be calling them by their first. I always notice in myself that the use of just the last name kind of dehumanizes people in a text or in a podcast like this for me. For today's topic, I asked one of my friends who his favorite hero is, and he said Emma Goldman. So, thanks for the topic, friend, and here we go. Emma Goldman was a social activist, born in 1869 in what was then the Russian Empire and what is now known as Lithuania. She grew up in a Jewish family and witnessed many unjust actions against her people, women, children and the poor by authority figures. Her family had to live in the Jewish ghettos and they moved around a lot whenever better opportunities appeared elsewhere. Her father was quite abusive and her mother was distant towards her family. From a young age, Emma turned against the system. It's said that she did very well, academically speaking, during the four years of Jewish elementary school she attended, but was always rebelling against the authority of the, of the teachers. When she was 13, Emma and her family moved to St. Petersburg, where she first came into contact with the radical youth and the idea of revolution. She was an avid reader and read a lot about politics and nihilism, but her father was convinced that all a Jewish woman had to do was cook and bear children, so he refused to let her continue her education. In 1885, when she was 16, Emma and her sister Helena fled Russia and went to the United States. Apparently, as they were sailing into New York Harbor, Emma was happy that she, quote, arrived in a free country, the asylum for the oppressed of all lands. She said that they too would find a place in the generous heart of America. Yeah. That didn't quite work out that way. She settled in with relatives in Rochester, uh, in the state of New York, and she found work in a factory, a job that will shatter anyone's beliefs in a country of freedom. Working conditions were a little better in the US than they were in Russia, but she only made $2.50 for a ten and a half hour day. Her family and communal life in America was just as restrictive as the life that she had left behind in Russia. She wasn't pleased with the situation at all. But it wouldn't be long before she realized she wanted the activist life. On May 4th, 1886, a rally took place in Chicago, organized by labor and radical activists, to protest against the brutal suppression of a strike by the police. During the event, while the police was again trying to squash the meeting, a bomb went off and many people were injured and one police officer was killed on impact. More fatal, though, was the chaos that ensued on the busy square after the bomb went off, and in the hustle, 
a number of demonstrators and a total of six more officers were killed. Several Chicago anarchists were accused of throwing the bomb, and even though there was barely any evidence, eight people were convicted of murder. Seven of them got the death penalty. In the end, only four got actually executed, and the other death penalties were either um, overturned or changed into life in prison. But people all over the world were furious at these unjust verdicts, without proof, without any evidence. And Emma was one of these people, thinking that the sentence was a travesty of justice. She started reading everything she could find on anarchism, because she believed that there was a better system out there. And this one wasn't it. At this point she had married, but she left her husband in 1889, when she left Rochester for New York City. She became part of the many political meetings, labor demonstrations and intellectual discussions that took place in the big city. Anarchism doesn't always have the same definition for everyone, especially people who don't know a lot about it, uh, just like socialism and communism and even capitalism for that matter. But Emma defined it as the philosophy of a new social order based on liberty unrestricted by man-made law. The theory that all forms of government rest on violence and are therefore wrong and harmful, as well as unnecessary. She also took up some communist beliefs, like the idea that private property was inherently harmful and exploitative. Emma didn't really believe in gradual reform either, and she figured people had waited around long enough. Together with her comrades, she advocated for the complete destruction of the state. Anarchists do not, contrary to popular belief, like or want chaos and disorder. It is more about believing that humans are good in nature, so that the most productive and just system would automatically take form when a bad system is taken away. Emma had many causes throughout her life. She did not just fight against the oppression of the lower class, but she also spoke up for things like women's rights, sexual freedom, birth control, and radical education. In the same year she moved to the city, she met her first real love, and more importantly, her lifelong comrade, Alexander Berkman, a fellow Russian immigrant. They promised each other to dedicate themselves to the cause in some, quote, supreme deed, to die together if necessary, or to continue to live and work for the ideal for which one of them might have to give their life. Emma was a great public speaker, thanks to her obvious dedication to the cause. People really wanted to listen to what she had to say, so she became very popular within New York's immigrant anarchist community. Three years later, after an incident in which Pennsylvanian steelworkers were locked out of their job after demanding higher wages, Emma and Alexander made a plan. They were going to kill Henry Clay Frick, the man responsible for the lockout. They hoped an attack like this on an important person would inspire the working class, that it showed that they no longer needed to be afraid, that they could take action instead, that they could defend themselves. But it kinda just made the entire US scared of anarchists, so it backfired in a big way. And other than not achieving their goal, Alexander was caught and was sentenced with a 21-year prison sentence. So much for a long-life comrade for the next 20 years, I guess. Emma was actually accused of being an accomplice to the assassination of President William McKinley in 1901. The president was actually killed by a man named Leon Kosolskos, but he claimed to have been acting under Emma's orders. She was immediately arrested, but 
there really wasn't enough evidence to hold her, so authorities were forced to let her go. The press, who were at this point still very big on the whole anti-anarchism sentiment, did not forget about her though, and she was demonized as the truest violent anarchist. Emma was sure as hell not against violence, but it wasn't her primary way to take action, as much as the press would like everyone to believe that. She was a big believer in education, and the use of spoken word to challenge the current political order. This is how she hoped to spark a revolution within her audience. And as she got older, her faith in the effectiveness of violence decreased, although she always kept believing that at some points it was just inevitable. It was justified in her eyes to sometimes fight violence with violence. In the first decade of the 20th century, she toured the United States, giving lectures in German, Yiddish and English. She spoke of her ideas of uh, the ideal society. On tour in 1910, she spoke 120 times, in 37 cities, in 25 different states. She was heard by a total of 25,000 people, which is a big audience to reach in the start of the 20th century. She didn't just give lectures though, she was also a really good writer. She wrote many pamphlets and contributed to articles and essays in both anarchist and mainstream periodicals. In 1910, she published the first edition of her book um, called Anarchism and Other Essays. Her main demographic had always been immigrant laborers, but over time she became popular among other groups as well, like middle class people, intellectuals and even farmers who were attracted to her unconventional opinions. She didn't just want the working class to rise up, she also thought it was necessary for the middle class to participate in the revolution if it was ever going to be successful. She was what we would call in today's terms a fierce feminist. Many anarchists at the time believed that any problems that uh, women were facing would simply disappear after the revolution had made the land just and fair. But Emma didn't quite think so, uh, because she thought all problems women were facing were distinct and came from a distinct place, not always just the oppressive government. She demanded economic, social and sexual emancipation for women, so they could become independent from husbands or fathers. She believed marriage was just a form of prostitution, in which a woman traded sex for economic and social standing. Not only that, but the fact that wives were always expected to have kids was yet another strike against women's economic and sexual autonomy, because she thought women should be able to decide that for themselves, which, of course, <laughs> we all agree with. So to help the cause, she became a very important figure in the struggle for free access to birth control. Her, well, modern views of sexual and re reproductive freedom led to several arrests, and she actually butted heads with the mainstream women's movement, because they were a lot more conservative at the time, and mostly focused on middle-class women and their problems. She opposed the ideas of the women's suffrage, who at the time were fighting for women's rights to get a professional career. According to Emma, this wouldn't actually free women, it would just lock them up in the same system as men, and in the best case scenario, it would improve the current system a bit. But the current system was corrupt, so she really didn't see why that was useful. She said women's development, her freedom, her independence, must come from and through herself. First, by asserting herself as a personality, and not as a sex commodity. Secondly, by refusing the right to anyone over her body. 
by refusing to be a servant to God, the state, society, the husband, the family, etc. By freeing herself from the fear of the public opinion and the public condemnation. She really did have very modern views on things. Although I do of course think that it was a good step for women to join the workforce. Most things she said would fit in pretty much with the standard belief of any good feminist today. Especially since she was so uh, for sexual freedom. And she advocated for people's rights to enter and leave relationships without constraints. This essentially meant that she didn't believe in the need for marriage. Uh, she didn't want the government or a rabbi to tell her who she could be with or not. This was not the standard at all, not even among feminists or among her anarchist friends. Emma got into a lot of trouble for her speeches and her writing. Authority had a tendency to try and stop her opinions from getting out in an attempt to make sure that the current political and economical system didn't get challenged. She got arrested so much that she started to carry a book around wherever she went because she didn't want to be locked up in jail again and not have anything to read. Over time, liberal and radical Americans, even those who did not necessarily support her in her opinions, still started to speak up whenever the government tried to take Emma's right to speak away. After all, the First Amendment states that no one should be stripped of their right to free speech. When the First World War came, it won't surprise you that Emma took a stance against it. She was clearly not against violence, but it wasn't up to the states to decide that such violence must happen. The government banned her book Mother Earth in 1917 in response, and Emma and her old lover Goldman, who had been released by now, started the No Conscription League. Emma and the League were against the draft for men um, for the war. In times of war it often happens that men, and probably nowadays also women, are forced to serve in the army, to serve their country or whatever. According to Emma, and I agree with her, this is against the principles of liberty, uh, a thing that America has always pretended to be so fond of, and Emma didn't think they were living up to their promises. And then both Emma and Alexander were arrested again for conspiring against the draft. <laughs> During the trial, an event that I would have paid good money for to witness, Emma argued that what she had done was the opposite of anti-American. It was in fact the very essence of patriotism, because she had tried to inspire the country to live up to its own ideals, and she had exercised her right to free speech, something that was so truly American. Basically what she said was, hey government, you aren't Americaning right, let me show you how it's done. <laughs> Surprisingly enough, it didn't work, and both Emma and Alexander were sentenced to two years in prison. After she got out of jail, Emma and Alexander, together with about 250 other foreign-born people, were deported under the 1918 Alien Act that made it legal to deport any, quote, alien found to be an anarchist. It shows you exactly how much anarchists weren't liked. It is very similar to the way communists were witch-hunted just a few decades later. But Emma held some hopes for her home country that during her absence had seen a revolution and now no longer was Russia, but the Soviet Union. She actually met Lenin face to face and during the meeting she questioned the big Soviet leader on the lack of freedom of speech and the press 
and the persecution of anarchists in the Soviet Union. His response didn't impress her one bit, and after some other things happened, she decided to leave the Soviet Union after only being there for about two years. Emma made very clear that she still thought the world needed a revolution, but she always made sure people knew that she wasn't a fan of the Bolshevik regime that had followed the Russian Revolution. She even wrote a book about the Bolshevik party state and how it had ruined the true revolution. Now exiled from the US, the country that had been her home for so many years, and no longer wanting to live in the Soviet Union where she was born, Emma started to wander. Sweden, Germany, France, Spain, Canada. She searched for a new political home. At some point she married an elderly Welsh coal miner in 1925 in order to get British citizenship. But as we know, she didn't really believe in marriage, so it was only a formality. The original green card marriage, so to say. Her exile from the US really put a damper on most of her political activities, and writing became one of her main ways to be heard now. Among other things, she published a thousand page autobiography called Living My Life in 1931. Yes, a thousand pages. That's how we have so many quotes and thoughts um, from her life. In the 30s, when Hitler slowly came into public view, she unsurprisingly made it a point to inform everyone that she wasn't a fan. In 1936, a civil war started in Spain, and anarchism had grown very popular in Spain. So when Emma visited, it was clear to her that this was the beginning of the true anarchist revolution. As we know, that didn't quite turn out as Emma or we had hoped. Because after years of hard work for the Spanish cause, for which she became the London representative, Franco won the war in 1939. Again, a bit of a blow to Emma, but nothing could stop her from believing in a better world. She moved to Canada, where she helped Spanish refugees get asylum, and she protected foreign-born radicals who were threatened with deportation to what was now fascist countries. At the age of 71, she suffered from a stroke that left her unable to speak, and a month later, she passed away. After spending the last decades of her life in exile from the US, her body was readmitted, and she was buried in Chicago, near the anarchists who had so inspired her all those years ago. Thousands of people attended her burial. She was a fierce woman who stood up for what was right. She believed in true freedom, in everyone's rights to lead their own lives. And she was willing to fight for it, but more importantly, she was willing to speak up for it. That takes a lot of backbone. So thanks, Emma Goldman, for fighting for the people, and thanks for inspiring many others to do so. Phew. Okay, that was a bit of an intense episode, and I kind of expected her to still be alive, 160 years old, still giving speeches. You never expect people that are this cool to actually pass away. But I enjoyed reading about her life, and she really was a great person. I didn't know about her until my friend told me about her, so thank you for recommending this to me. If you liked the episode, please rate and review it wherever you listen, and perhaps share it with a friend. That's all I have for you today, but feel free to join me next week here on the First Things in the Morning podcast. Have a good day.